I drive zero RB in Dynasty. Pass up a young receiver? Nah, I couldn't be me. My fifth wide receiver, and it's only round seven. Not sure if I'm dead, cause I think this is heaven. Now forget what he said, and listen to me. What you really wanna do is stack those RBs. You can be Linda, just let me be frank. Those RBs on your roster is money in the bank. One says it's awful, the other says it's great. It's time to buckle in for a dynasty debate. Welcome in, welcome in, welcome in episode 85 of the Dynasty Debates is now in session. I am your humble host as always, Evan Brown, the humblest host in the biz. You can catch me on Twitter at FFEvanLution, like my name, Evan, with revolution at the end. You just push them together. You got Evanlution. That's where you can find me. You can also follow the show at Dynasty Debates, or you can drop me an email, DynastyDebates at gmail.com. This is part two of the 2022 breakout series. Special guest Britt Flynn at Britt underscore Flynn on Twitter. Give her a follow. She is awesome. And she's here this week. She's helping me break down some 2022 breakouts. Part one, we talked about some wide receivers. We gave you two each. So hopefully you've listened to that. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. It was awesome. My breakouts were great. Britt's breakouts were great. Britt's breakouts sounds awesomer than mine, but hey, they were both great. And today we're going to go through our running backs, our tight ends, and maybe even sneak in a quarterback or two. So buckle up. Get ready. Let's do this. The main event. Fight. We're going to move on and talk about some running backs because who doesn't love to talk a good running back? Now, again, Britt, guess first. You've been killing it so far. Been loving the analysis. Who do you got for us for running backs? I'm, I'm curious if we're going to stay in this, like, you know, just lockstep side by side singing kumbaya or if we're going to have to, like, take the gloves off and do some fisticuffs here. Yeah. Well, I'm completely in on J.K. Dobbins this year. Um, He obviously didn't play last year um, because of his ACL injury that he suffered in August. But in his rookie season, he finished as running back 24 with uh, 11.2 fantasy points per game. He did this as a secondary back behind Mark Ingram. Um, He put up 800 over 800 yards and averaged six yards per carry. I mean, this guy is just a stud. The his situation is also really good going into this year because the Ravens have traditionally been a run heavy offense. And now with the departure of Marquise Brown to Arizona, I really expect them to go back to a very heavy run centric scheme. Um, Just as an example, they ranked 11th in 2021 in run plays, but they ranked first in 2020 and 2019 and third in 2018. They love to run the ball. And if they have a good of competent running back, they're going to do that. And now, especially since they lost their wide receiver one, um, the Ravens also only ranked 15th in run blocking efficiency in 2021, but they did a lot of work in the draft to shore up that offensive line. They got the center Tyler Linderbaum, and then they got Daniel Fiala. I think that everything is set up to, for Dobbins to have just a massive, massive season. Um, he's going as running back 23 overall with his ADP. And that to me is just, I have to pick him up every time right there. You know, he's got wide or running back one potential. I think he can be a legit running back one in fantasy and, you know, he's being taken as a low end running back too. So 
I expect big things out of Dobbins this season. And um, I'm curious to think if you agree. What I like, so I do like, I'm not as high on him as some people, but I like what you're saying. And I agree with you because I think some people are, I think he was one of those guys that when he came out, there was some hardcore love for him. You know, there were some hardcore truthers. And, um, you know, so I think that they're just like all aboard that. But I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think he will be a value because at the moment, if you can get your hands on him at that sort of level of cost, it's like kind of getting him at his floor, isn't it really? Because if he stays healthy and he's in that high-powered offense, I mean, I don't see how he could finish much worse than a low-end RB2. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like you're getting him at his floor and there's so much ceiling and there's so much potential there because he was so talented in college. Um, And... You know, I was, it's funny because I sort of thought everybody was hyped on him or in on him, but I actually saw somebody today or yesterday on Twitter, um, one of the guys over here in the UK who does a lot of best ball talk and stuff like that. And he did a little screenshot of like somebody dropped JK Dobbins on the waiver wire in his dynasty league. Like, what? and he like sold some picks and stuff to get as much fab as possible. And he like outbid the other guy by like $1 or something. It was like, he had like $101 and the other oh. person had a hundred dollars. And I was like, I literally was just like, I don't, I don't even know what to say, man. Like, I, I don't understand that. Like, I, I cannot fathom anybody dropping him on the waiver wire. So apparently there are haters out there. Apparently there are people who do not believe in Dobbins. But, you know, to your point, it makes a lot of sense. They are a super run heavy team. They love to run the ball. They've revamped the offensive line. They've lost one of their, you know, wide receiver weapons. They don't have that much at the wide receiver. They've got a stud and tight end. But, I mean, they want to run the dang ball. They want to establish the run and what better way to do that than with an absolute stud muffin, JK Dobbins. So I dig it. I like it. And you know what? It's funny because my running back missed all of last year as well with injury. So again, we're sort of like sharing a brain here. I am talking (laughs) none other than Travis St. Etienne for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I've got a couple of things. So here's my sort of stance. Here's my, my, I'm going to make a play to the jury here. See if I can convince you um, of his bona fide status as a breakout candidate. See if you're with me or if you're going to vote against me. Um, so I, one thing that really, so I think everyone would, well, not everyone, no one, not everyone will agree on anything. Let's be honest. But I think most people would agree that Travis Etienne is just a talented running back. He was a talented running back, whether or not he should have been a first round pick. We can debate that. But it is what it is. He was a first-round pick. He was a very talented running back coming out last year. Unfortunately, missed the whole year with a Liz Frank injury. But he seems to be healing really well. He's been the star of the OTAs for the Jaguars as far as that goes. Um, You know, he's coming back now. James Robinson, who was an undrafted free agent, who was absolutely amazing and just smashed as a rookie and was doing fairly well, managing managing to even overcome um, the horror show, the freak show that was the coaching staff last year. Um, But unfortunately, he did snap his Achilles which is not good for running backs now he is working hard to come back and hopefully fingers crossed he does come back but at the moment you really only have Travis Etienne James Robinson rehabbing from an Achilles and Snoop Connor a fifth round rookie who I like I like Snoop Connor but that's not a lot of competition in the running back room really and what intrigues me even more is who's coming to town to replace Urban Freak Show Myers, um, Doug Peterson. So Doug Peterson is what I would consider a good coach. I think I don't think he's like the best coach in the entire world, and he's groundbreaking a lot. I think he's a very solid, very good coach. He's won Super Bowl before. He's a good coach. He knows how to develop quarterbacks. I think that'll be really good for um, Trevor Lawrence. I think that 
it's interesting the the staff that he's getting together, um, the way it looks like things are going. It looks like he's just getting the old gang back together, and he's going to try and replicate sort of a lot of the things that he did in Philadelphia in his heyday. And if we look back, so if we look back to like sort of peak peak Peterson, if you will, you know. Peak Peterson. I like a bit of alliteration. In 2019, um, the Peterson-led Eagles had almost a 20% target share going to the running back position. So 114 targets went to a motley crew of Jay Ajayi, Boston Scott, old man Darren Sproles about to retire, a conglomeration including rookie Miles Sanders. I mean, it was just all over the place, just a, a hodgepodge of running backs. So they, they managed to, to funnel 114 targets or a 20% target share to the running back position. Now, the Jags were bottom five last year and still had 85 targets to the running back position. Now, a top 12 running back last year averaged about 60 targets versus 45 for an RB 13 to 24. James Robinson... Again, still coming back from Achilles, had 46 targets in 2021. So I think what you're, hopefully what you are getting is that targets matter an awful lot when it comes to the running back position. Uh, and any running back who we can expect to get 60, 65 targets is going to be potentially on borderline running back one numbers just based on their, on their receptions and their potential upside. In 2020, in college, Travis Etienne had 60 targets in 12 college games. That's five targets per game. He also had a 12% target share by himself. If we were to kind of project that on to this year, five targets a game is 85 targets. That's a lot. That's insane. But even if he had 12% target share of what, how many times Trevor Lawrence passed last year, it's still around 65 to 70 targets. So I think, you know, and if you look at last year as an example, again, talking about how important and how valuable targets, the worst possible, the worst example, the floor example that I could find was of a running back that got 60 or more targets. The lowest they finished was Miles Gaskin, who finished RB25. Um, he got 60 targets. Everyone else who got 60 or more targets was like high end running back two or running back one. Um, I think what I'm trying to get at here is that. I feel like the absolute floor for Travis Etienne is like a mid to low end running back too. I don't see if, unless he gets injured, which obviously we don't know, we can't project and we don't ever wish unless he gets injured. I don't see how he finishes lower than a mid to low end running back two, based on the competition, based on the style of offense that they run based on his skill set. Let's not forget Trevor Lawrence was his college quarterback. These guys know each other. They have a familiarity. They have a comfortability with each other. He's going to be looking to his man, Travis Etienne, to catch those dump-offs, catch those checkdowns, to make things happen. I think he could very realistically be a top 12 running back if he stays healthy. I honestly do. Um, where are you at with that? Have I convinced you or are you completely skeptical and you just don't even want to continue podcasting with me anymore and this is just it? No, I'm in agreement with you completely. And it's going to sound so weird because a lot of these breakout candidates that we're both talking about are on this Jaguars team. But I think that you hit this nail on the head. Like Peterson is a good coach and he's an effective coach. And there's a lot of upwards movement for all of these players to go after last season. Um, I think it was Ian Harditz, and I apologize if I'm misattributing this quote, but I think that today on Twitter, he said that ETN could be Trevor Lawrence's CMC. And I completely 100% agree with that, with the targets, with his running style. And then you throw in the rapport that they have in college. I'm 100% sold on this. He's also another running back in that dead zone, which isn't so dead this year, by the way. It's kind of intriguing how many good 
or even serviceable running backs are in that dead zone. So yeah, you're drafting him at his floor and he has completely great upside potential. I'm a hundred percent in on him. Yes. Nailed it. There you go, folks. So hopefully that you guys have agreed with us as well and you can get out there and hopefully there are some doubters or some people who just aren't exactly high on ETN or worried about the injury and you can maybe get a little bargain, get yourself a locked and loaded stud muffin running back. I do have, do you have any other running backs you wanted to hit Britt? Um, I'm just going to mention Tyler Algier a little bit. Obviously he's a rookie. I don't have a lot of stats to kind of, you know, pro stats to, to support this, but it's going to be basically him and Cordero Patterson in this Atlanta offense. And I think that they move Patterson out to more of a wide receiver role and leave Algier as in every down back. So if you're looking for somebody, I don't know who hasn't done their rookie drafts and dynasty yet, but if you're one of the ones who haven't just keep him on your radar as a rookie breakout running back. Yeah, no, absolutely. Somebody who, you know, may not be a top 24 back, but somebody could, you could get some run from and you could certainly use. Um, absolutely. You know, if he, especially if he maybe struggles the first week or two of the season because he's a rookie and all that kind of stuff, maybe you can get a little cheeky deal on the side. I think he could definitely, you know, could definitely provide some value for you. On the same sort of vein, I am just going to throw out here quickly. Um, he's one of my guys, and I feel like there's been a lot of hate for him on the streets. It is Sir James Cook. And no, I'm not talking about the explorer who discovered the Sandwich Islands, though he is pretty cool too. Sad story. I went and looked him up on Wikipedia and he did die. He got like killed by like some, you know, natives and it was pre- it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. So not a good ending. Hopefully not reminiscent of what is going to happen to this James Cook, the running back for the Buffalo Bills. Um, without going too, too in depth here, I do think he's somebody that as a rookie will provide value to your squads. Just a couple of quick stats that I'll throw out there because I know a lot of the sort of, um, I suppose, misnomers or a lot of the theories that have been getting thrown around is that, oh, well, they don't throw to the running backs in Buffalo and you know he's not going to be utilized as a bell cow well first of all he wasn't a bell cow in college and he was still valuable he was still a good player and he was worthy of second round draft capital he was literally the third running back drafted in the NFL draft Buffalo Bills are a smart team I think they know what they're doing in 2021 Singletary was the RB 24 in PPR and he played 16 games He had 782 rushing yards on 169 attempts and six touchdowns. He managed to get 48 targets, though. Like Singletary had almost 50 targets. He only had 38 receptions for 204 yards and zero touchdowns. His PFF grade was 69, which is 34th. I know, noise. And as a receiver, it was 42.3, which is 60th. So he was not a good receiving back. Zach Moss, RIP, basically dead and buried on the roster. RB51, 12 games. But he still managed to get 91 attempts. He still had 30 targets. Okay, his PFF grade was 66.838. And as a receiver, 51.6, 48th. Neither of them were very good receiving backs. Singletary is incredibly inefficient as a pass catching back, 5.4 yards per reception. Even if nothing changed, the Bills offense from last year, there's still roughly 80 targets going to the running back position. Cook is a phenomenal pass catching back with excellent speed. That is what his calling card was. He had nine plus yards per reception in 21 in college. He literally was in a committee. Zamir White 
was the the hammer, the mean, the bell cow, rusher, whatever. He was the complimentary back. He still managed to put up 113 attempts for 728 yards and seven touchdowns. He had 27 for 30. He's got a great catch rate, great catch percentage. He's very efficient on the ground. He had PFF grade of 85. And as a receiver, he was 83.4, which was third in the SEC. Just his stat line from last year, which obviously I know, I know, I know we're not copying, pasting from college, but I'm saying a stat line of like 113 attempts and only 30 targets. Um, that's pretty easily achievable. That would have made him RB 18 last year in PPR. So again, I'm not going to go too far. I've, I've kind of rattled off a lot of stats and figures there, but I am pretty passionate about James Cook. I feel like unless he gets injured or something like that, I feel like I don't see how he could finish lower than like a low end RB two. I do think he has the ceiling. He has the abilities in that offense with Josh Allen, with the setup that they've got there to be an every week plug and play option. I am all aboard the James Cook hype train. What say you, Britt? Have I convinced you or are you just out on this take? Is this is this a, a bridge too far? Yeah, I love it. And I think that he can eventually become more than just a passing down back in this Buffalo offense. I know that people are hating on him because he's 199 pounds. He's a pound lighter than the prototypical NFL running back. But he's, you know, almost six feet tall. Singletary's only 5'7". I think that eventually once they develop Cook that he can kind of develop into an every down bell cow bruiser back with receiving upside. So I'm a hundred percent on him. I don't understand the hate. Uh, he's going to be a good fantasy asset to have for several years. Absolutely. You see, see Brit is a genius. This is why I invited her on the show. She knows her stuff. She agrees with me most of the time, <laughs> but no, I absolutely love it. We have covered off some running backs. We've hit some wide receivers. Um, we're going to talk tight ends, which, you know, is kind of a gross position. I love tight ends personally, but I know a lot of people hate them. Um, so I always am looking around for that next breakout tight end or that next up and comer. There's a couple of guys that I actually have my eye on guys that I think are quite interesting, but I thought it was cheating to say Kyle Pitts. So so therefore, I've gone and dug a little bit deeper, um, but I'm going to let Britt go first because, again, she managed to beat me to it through somebody in the dock that I was like, actually, you know what? I just talked about this dude a couple weeks ago on the show. I can't keep talking about this guy. He's got the same name as me. People will think it's collusion. Um, I know that was a bit of a spoiler, but Britt, take it away and tell us about this breakout potential tight end. Yeah, people are going to think that I'm turning into a diehard Jaguars fan with all of my picks, but um, I've got Evan Ingram as a breakout tight end this season. Um, last year, he finished as tight end 23 with only 7.2 points per game. But the thing with Ingram is that we've seen his talent. During his rookie season, he amassed 722 yards, had six touchdowns, and he got 115 targets. He finished as tight end five, even with a 55.7% catch rate. Like I get the narrative that he can't catch balls, whatever. And that exists because of his rookie season and this terrible catch rate, but he's improved on that in several years. It's just been that Jason Garrett kind of wanted to use him in a Jason Witten role where he doesn't succeed. Um, then you look at Doug Peterson and his usage of 12 personnel and pass catching tight ends. So in 2019, he led the league in 12 personnel usage with 52% of his offensive sets being 12 personnel. Um, and in 2020, he came in second at 35%. That led to two top 10 tight ends in tight end four, Zach Ertz, and tight end 10, Dallas Goddard in 2019. I mean, it's hard enough to get one top 10 tight end in this kind of NFL landscape and just how the usage of tight ends has changed over the seasons, let alone two top 10s. 
Um, the opportunity is going to be there for him in Jacksonville. He gets an upgrade at quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. And when the volume's there, Ingram eats. I mean, and they didn't pay him $9 million a year to be a blocking tight end. He's going to get snaps. He's going to run routes. He's going to get targets. And I don't care if he does catch at 55.7%. If he can do that and end up tight end five in his rookie year, he's only gotten better. And his outlook is only looking better. So at tight end 24, I'm. how can you not take him? <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. See, I love it. I love the the points that you brought up. That's exactly what I was saying a, a couple of weeks ago was Doug Peterson loves him some tight ends. Like he loves him some tight ends. And ultimately that's what you want when you don't have a sure thing, when you don't have a Mark Andrews, a, you know, Kyle Pitts, a Darren Waller, you want athletic and you want opportunity, you know, and if you, if you can get both or one or the other and, and looks like Evan Ingram, I mean, he has had success before as a tight end, not every year he's been a disappointment, but he has finished inside the top 12 before, you know, that's happened to him. It's not like a just complete made up thing. He's got the opportunity. He's going to hopefully have the targets. He's got the athleticism. So, and he costs you practically nothing. Everyone's sick, sore and tired of the sight of Evan Ingram, which obviously is very sad for me as a fellow Evan. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I'm all about that. And as much as people are thinking you are probably like a Jags fan, uh, they're probably thinking I'm like a Bears fan, like a closet Bears fan, because I've obviously already talked about Darnell Mooney. My breakout tight end for this year is Cole Komet. So I don't know what's going on here. I could have chosen Irv Smith, but hey, I've got to be honest with the people. The people deserve the best. They deserve the truth. And I think Cole Komet has a better chance of being a breakout tight end than Irv Smith Jr., couple of things about Cole Komet. If you didn't pay that much attention, which who could blame you? The Bears were pretty unwatchable last year. He finished 2021 as tight end 21 or around there in like seven points per game. It was yuck. It was gross. Tight end 37 on PFF with 63.4 grade. It was up slightly from 57.7 his rookie year, which was 58. So a slight improvement. Not great, Bob. 93 targets, though. I like that. 60 receptions for 93 targets, 612 yards, and listen to this, zero touchdowns. That is what we call an anomaly. And he's in line for, again, buzzword, what we like to call positive regression. So tied sixth for targets in 2021. So last year for all tight ends, he was tied sixth in the league for targets. We love targets. I love targets. He was 12th in receiving yards. The average number of touchdowns of the six tight ends ahead of him is just over five. So for him to get zero, again, is an anomaly. It's weird. If you just gave him five touchdowns, the same as all the guys ahead of him with that amount of targets or target share got, he would have actually been low in tight end one or maybe around tight end 13 last year just by giving him those five touchdowns. Now, Again, similar to the arguments that we had with Darnell Mooney, there's not a lot of weapons that have been brought in to compete with him. Um, there's old man Vilas Jones Jr. that got brought in as a rookie who's like apparently 37 years old. There is a couple of free agent guys that have been brought in. Nothing to write home about. He is the main tight end in the group. He will be in line for probably the same amount of targets, probably a hundred targets this year. And if he's going to get a hundred targets and even if he gets three or four touchdowns, he could very easily end up as a low end tight end one. And I think again, people aren't excited about the bears. They were excited about Justin Fields, but then they haven't done what we wanted them to do to surrounding him with more talent. They did try and bolster the O line a bit, which is good. They do have a new coaching staff in, which is 
it can't be worse and hopefully it's better. Um, but yeah, again, it's opportunity. I think, you know, he is a fairly athletic tight end. He is going into his third season, which is good because it takes a couple of years for a lot of these tight ends to really kind of get to grips with the NFL and with making an impact. But he's got some solid underlying stats and more, most importantly, he's got that opportunity. So what are your thoughts on Cole Komet? Are you with me? Are we still agreeing or have we found uh, a bone of contention here? Yeah, I haven't given up on Cole Komet yet. I think everything that you said about it taking time for tight ends to develop and his positive touchdown regression is absolutely spot on. Um, and I mean, we talked about it with Mooney. They didn't bring any other weapons in. Who else are they going to throw to? You know, it's going to be basically Mooney and Komet as the top two targets in this offense. And, you know, when you get outscored by Jesper Horstead and, you know, people like that, it's, it's definitely an anomaly and it's not going to keep happening that way. I look for Komet to take a big step up this season and you're getting him in that low ADP range as well. So with his upside that he has, I don't think that you can go wrong on taking a flyer on him. And I mean, tight ends messy. If you don't hit on a tight end, there's always streamers. So I would rather draft a guy with upside and who has that target share than just somebody who is touchdown dependent, you know? 100%. And I, might I say sick burn saying you got outscored by Jesper Hortstead. I mean, that is that is a sick, but that is a deep cut. <laughs> that is a deep cut. Um, but yes, we're going to wrap it up here with quarterbacks. So we saved the best for last. And uh, Britt, who is your quarterback? Who's going to break out as a quarterback this year? Well, I'm just going to wrap up my Jaguars love fest, apparently. Um, I didn't realize how many Jaguars <laughs> I had until I sat down and said all this out loud. But I truly believe in all of these. And my quarterback is Trevor Lawrence. So he was the most touted prospect coming out of college. We saw him just absolutely like the stadium on fire while he was at Clemson. But his rookie season, he finished as quarterback 23 with only 12.34 points per game. And that was just really awful. Um, he had more interceptions than he did touchdowns, which just, it cannot happen again, right? There's no way that it happens again. They brought in weapons um, around him. He's going to get back his bestie and ETN. And again, he has Doug Peterson as coach. Peterson's kind of been known as the quarterback whisperer in the NFL, um, he helped redevelop the talents of Michael Vick when he was quarterback's coach in Philadelphia and Alex Smith when he was offensive coordinator in Kansas City. And then as head coach in Philadelphia, he helped develop Carson Wentz and even nudged enough out of Nick Foles for them to win a Super Bowl. I mean, this guy just has a way with quarterbacks and Lawrence has the talent. Lawrence is comped on player profiler to Peyton Manning. If you want to see just how much raw talent he has. And, you know, when you're throwing to Jamal Agnew and Laquan Treadwell in your rookie season, that's not exactly setting somebody up for success. So I think with their supporting cast and one of the easiest strength of schedules in the entire NFL, that Lawrence is going to take a huge jump forward. And on underdog right now, I believe he's being drafted as a quarterback 19. So you're getting huge, huge upside drafting him at his floor. Yeah. I mean, I think, it's it's you know it is funny that all of you like a lot of your guys are jaguars but it makes sense as well because sometimes a breakout is the most beneficial breakouts aren't even necessarily you know the guys that go from wide receiver 12 to wide receiver one that is awesome but it's the guys that are almost undrafted or being drafted super late that all of a sudden become really useful that kind of can be the most help to your squads and 
I mean, everything you said is 100% true. We were so excited about Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I can't remember a rookie draft last year where he didn't go 101, you know, in a super flex. Uh, everybody was excited about him. And it's funny to me how quickly we've given up on him now. I know that his rookie season was terrible, but man, like normally we give rookies, especially quarterbacks, a year or two, you know, a couple of years to prove themselves. It feels like so many people have just completely jumped ship or at least are really freaked out on Trevor Lawrence. So again, I like that you can sort of get in to try this out like fairly cheaply. You can kind of like, you know, the cost of acquisition isn't too insane because, you know, it's like, honestly, Trey Lance has way more hype right now, I feel like, than Trevor Lawrence, even though Trey Lance hardly played last year. And don't get me wrong, don't hear what I'm not saying. I do love Trey Lance, but, you know, it is kind of funny that we're like super excited and hyped for somebody that really didn't hardly play last year. And there was all these rumors and weird things circulating around him than somebody who actually got to play a year and is going into a better situation than they did last year. So I'm going to wrap things up here with maybe what might be considered an odd choice. And I'll see if um, I'll see if this is where our long run of agreement ends. I do not know. I genuinely don't know Britt's take on this. So she might hate it. And she might have just hung up and not even be on the call anymore because she just can't stand me talking about Davis Mills. He was the surprise, in my opinion, of the rookie class last year at the quarterback position. I don't think many people expected much out of him with him, you know, going down into the third round and obviously having come off an injury in college. But interestingly, so and 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 and, and on paper, it wasn't a stellar year. But what I think it was is a kind of a tale of two seasons almost. And I want to explain what I mean by that. So he was QB 29 in 13 games overall and roughly QB 28, 29, somewhere in there in points per game at 12.8. So not great, Bob. QB 35 on PFF at 58.5, which was actually lowest of the, you know, for the, for the season long grade, it was the lowest of the rookie QBs that played last year. So again, not great. But interestingly enough, so he comes in obviously raw. He, he came off an injury from college. He was supposed to kind of sit behind Tyrod Taylor and just learn the ropes, I think, and just have a year to kind of really get the feel of the league and the feel of the offense and things like that. But Tyrod got injured fairly early on, so he had to step in. He was forced to step in, and in weeks three to eight was his first stint as a starting quarterback in the NFL. He was QB 25, averaging 11.4 points per game, so pretty gross. Then he gets benched. Um, as you would understand, he was playing pretty pretty badly. Um, a lot of mistakes, a lot of rookie errors that you know you could expect. But again, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't nice what was happening. Tyrod was back from his injury, so he got back in the starting lineup. Now, Tyrod played pretty dang bad and managed to get himself benched again near the end of the season. So Davis Mills comes back in um, to replace Tyrod here near the end of the season. And now, it's not the hugest sample size, so I will give you that straight up. But in weeks 14 to 18, so it is a five-week sample size, he was QB 10, averaging 17.8 points per game. Now, they didn't just play bums or guys that didn't want to play or roll pushovers. They in that, in that span, they played Seattle, they played Jacksonville, they played the Chargers, they played the 49ers, and they played the Titans. So they played some playoff teams, they played some teams who were fighting for the playoffs, they played some teams who definitely wanted to beat the Texans. And in that time, he was 8th in total yards, ninth in completion percentage, 10th in touchdowns. He only threw two interceptions. Um, so, I mean, those are all really positive things. And I think people have forgotten that because as a season as a whole, it wasn't impressive. And if you just look at his year in stats, they're not that impressive. A couple more reasons why I'm really intrigued and interested in it and even excited. I will go so far as to say excited for Davis Mills next year. 
people forget that he was actually like a five-star recruit coming into college. He wasn't just some dude. He was incredibly highly touted, highly recruited player coming out of high school. He got injured and chose to come out anyways. But if he had stayed another year, most people think he would have been the number one QB in this class. Um, he was somebody that there were high expectations for that got derailed a little bit through injury. And yes, he went in like the third round, but that was actually their like first pick. So it was their, you know, first round pick. If you'd like, they chose not to go after any of these free agents. They chose not to draft anybody in this draft, even though quarterbacks were falling to the second, third, fourth rounds. They didn't bring any competition for him. They have chosen to rule with Davis Mills. Not only that, they have added They've added some uh, beefing up of the offensive line. They spent their for one of their first round picks on offensive linemen. They have um, continued to just work on the offensive line to try and make it as solid as they can. They've brought Brandon Cooks back, so they've given him a really solid veteran weapon. They drafted John Mechie the third, very high traded up to draft him. He is a great wide receiver out of Alabama. They still have Nico Collins there, who I really liked last year. Who apparently has been making some really solid steps in pre season they've drafted Damian Pierce to give more oomph to the running game um and interesting side note on them trying to bolster the o-line he was actually seventh in clean pocket percentage rates last year so when he has a clean pocket he plays really well and just the icing on the cake for me we've talked about coaching staffs with Jacksonville and how much of a difference that can make they not only kept Pep Hamilton around last year he was the quarterbacks coach but they've managed to bring him back as the offensive coordinator so and that ties directly into Davis Mills, um, his his production, his continued development. We talked about quarterback whispers. Pep Hamilton is certainly a quarterback whisperer as well. He was instrumental in Andrew Luck's development and play in Indianapolis. He was the quarterback's coach for Justin Herbert as a rookie when he took over. We know how that went. I'm not saying that this is Justin Herbert, but he was the guy there last year who was developing and coaching Davis Mills, helped him make those steps forward. They like what they've got in Mills. They decided to keep Pep Hamilton as the OC, so he's got continuity. I really think that he has a solid shot at being a startable weekly quarterback, especially in those sort of two quarterback superflex type leagues this year. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. What are your thoughts, Britt? Is that any good or because he's not a Jaguar, are you out on this take completely? I think Davis Mills had more 300 plus yard games than any other rookie last season. The really downside that, that he experienced was just the lack of scoring touchdowns. Um, and you kind of hinted on his development going into his second year. We literally saw that play out in real time in between weeks three and eight and 14 and 18, where he did develop and was getting familiar with the system and familiar with his weapons and the process. And uh, I don't know if I would necessarily take him, you know, in a single quarterback league, but in a, in a super flex league, he's absolutely on my radar. And I'm kind of excited to see what he does with Brandon cooks as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think you're you're spot on. This is more for like a super flex take. I wouldn't say, I mean, I, I love Davis Mills and I would be surprised if he was like a top 12 quarterback this year. I would just be like, oh man, I'm going to go back and edit this in such a way that it sounds like I was saying he is a top 12 quarterback. <laughs> but no, I would be surprised if he does that. But I do think that, you know, last year he was kind of unusable most of the time. There's one or two games where you're like, oh, dang it, I wish I'd put him in. But I feel like he could be a solid, like a guy that you're plugging in as your QB two on most weeks, if not every 
every week this year and and happy with. And again, if you're in Dynasty right now, I feel like you can get him pretty cheaply. And in redraft, like you said, I mean, I think he's going to be pretty much free. I don't think anybody's expecting anything out of him. So there you have it, folks. There are some of our wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, and even quarterbacks that we expect to break out or take a big step forward this year. We've given some of our reasonings and our rationale. And hopefully you do not hate it too much because I enjoyed it. I am certainly more of a Jaguars fan now than when we started talking. And a lot of that is thanks to my amazing guest today. Again, Britt Flynn at Britt underscore Flynn on Twitter. If you don't have a Twitter, make a Twitter. It's not that hard. It's super helpful. You get to follow amazing, smart people like Britt and get better at fantasy football and it's free. Do it. Check out Fantasy Alarm and more importantly, check out the Lightning Round pod that she is one of the co-hosts of. Is there anything else you wanted to shout out or or plug or anything like that before we go, Britt? Yeah, just tune in to Lightning Round. We've got some really, really awesome guests coming up. Keep your eye out for the NFL Draft Guide on Fantasy Alarm. We'll be putting that out shortly and it's loaded with lots of juicy info to help you guys win your leagues. Absolutely do that. Definitely if you have 30 to 45 seconds in your super busy lives, drop your rating and a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. It really helps. And go and drop a rating review for Lightning Round Pod as while you're at it. So, it, you know, just support your local friendly neighborhood content creator. Um, but yeah, Britt, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you very much for taking time out of your super busy life to jump on and chat with us. And hopefully you won't be a stranger. Would love to have you back on again sometime. But guys, hopefully you have learned something. Hopefully you're going to get out there and make some trades. Or if you're getting ready for some redraft leagues or best ball leagues, you'll keep an eye on some of these breakout deals that you can get. I drive zero RB in Dynasty. Pass up a young receiver? Nah, I couldn't be me. My fifth wide receiver and it's only round seven Not sure if I'm dead cause I think this is heaven Now forget what he said and listen to me What you really wanna do is stack those RBs You can be Linda, just let me be frank Those RBs on your roster is money in the bank One says it's awful, the other says it's great It's time to buckle in for a dynasty debate